Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast where we hear from mothers who are artists and creators, sharing their joys and issues around trying to be a mother and continue to make art. Regular topics include mum guilt, identity, the day-to-day juggle, mental health and how children manifest in their art. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. I have a passion for mental wellness and a background in early childhood education. You can find links to my guests and topics they discuss in the show notes, along with music played, a link to follow the podcast on Instagram and how to get in touch. All music used on the podcast is done so with permission. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Bowendick people as the traditional custodians of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on and pays respects to the relationship the traditional owners have with the land and water, as well as acknowledging past, present and emerging elders. Thanks so much for tuning in today. My guest on today's episode is Monica Crowley. Monica is a printmaker, oil painter and visual artist from Dublin in Ireland and a mother of two. Monica spent 20 years in commercial advertising and design to which she credits her bold graphic style. Her practice explores the trauma of change and identity crisis, domesticity, the traditional structure of the home and the changing expectations of modern motherhood. Monica uses mundane objects in a symbolic, transformative manner, whereby they become totems and talismans of the past. Earlier prints had their starting point in motherhood as a rite of passage. They served as a memoir come warning about nostalgia for retro culture and a time when mothers were not expected to juggle jobs and families. Monica strives to capture the essence of a mother's guilt, the feeling of being torn in two and the resentment from the other self. A decade on, her work still documents the internal struggle between the selves, mother and artist. Her work walks a line between anger and love, between despair and joy, her explorations of the everyday, are often raw and unadulterated, showing a grimness through the repetition of daily chores, but at times finding a quiet beauty in the mundane. We also chat a little today about Monica's connection to the Irish racing industry. This episode contains discussion around grief and loss. Welcome along today, Monica. It's a pleasure to have you all the way from Ireland. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Alison, and thanks for um, doing it at my local time when the kids were in school. <laughs> so oh. I, I, w- I wouldn't have people constantly opening the door behind me. <laughs> no, I can understand that. No, it's pretty good here. It's it's almost eight o'clock at night, so it's a pretty good time for me too. So the kids will be off to bed and I won't have to worry about doors at my end too. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh. So whereabouts in Ireland are you? I'm in Dublin. So it's um, grey and cold out my window. (laughs) We had a bit of snow last week, but um, it seems to be um, uh, hopefully brightening up this week a little bit. Oh, I'm jealous because we don't get snow where I am. It just doesn't, it's not cold enough. And um, I've spent, well, I shouldn't say I'm jealous today because I've spent the day swimming and I've got a little bit sunburnt. You might be able to see. Oh, (laughs) But I, yeah, I've never never had the snow. Like it's something I've never never done. Been in the snow, so. Yeah, well, unfortunately, Irish snow is generally wet and sleety. Every now and again, we get you know decent snow, but it's not it's not a country for skiing. I have snowmen every now and again. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Share with us um, what sort of art that you make. So I suppose up to recently, I've been predominantly a printmaker. Um, I used to work in advertising and design. So I think printmaking was a really natural step for me because I kind of understood, you know, color mixing and separations and plates and that kind of uh, technical aspect of the the process. So, and also because I was, Back then, um, I was renting. I didn't have studio space. Uh, so being part of a 
print making studio. I'm a member of the Black Church Print Studio, and it was a good way to um, have a place where I could go and work and keep all my stuff and keep my art practice going um, while I was still working as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, in the last couple of years, I've um, my practice has kind of changed a bit, I suppose, because of lockdown printmaking and going to my print studio was a lot harder. The studio was closed up, so I um, I did a lot more drawing at home and painting. So I'm I'm actually uh, doing a lot more oil painting at the moment. Yeah, right. Well, that's cool. Um, what do you prefer to do? Do you like your you print making better or I don't know I sometimes feel like um oh, there's this hierarchy in the art world that I'm like <laughs> you, you sometimes hit a wall and you go you know am I getting that response because I'm a printmaker and the value of printing is perceived as lower so I you know I, I sometimes come up against it and I find it quite frustrating that um, uh, the value of a print, even though it's like quite a hard technical process to do. I, somebody described it once as like totally overcomplicating the process of creating art. <laughs> so um, I think, um, I suppose, as well being able to during lockdowns and all that being able to keep my uh, practice going and being able to draw and paint at home made me realize you know sometimes actually that remove of going to a print studio while it's nice it's nice to be able to get up in the morning and sneak an hour before the kids get up in you know in my home studio so mm. and I guess then if if you have an idea anytime you can sort of act on it rather than have to keep it till you can physically get to the place. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, and I suppose you keep your notebooks going, although I do find myself, you know, um, sneaking upstairs and saying, I just have to go do something and running upstairs and getting stuck into something because now I can. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm I tell the kids, I'll be back in 10 minutes, you know, do your homework. And I come back 45 minutes later, an hour later, and <laughs> they're watching TV and the homework isn't done. And I'm like, oh God, okay. It's very hard <laughs> to, to thread that balance. I think one of um, the things people have talked about on your podcast before, and it probably comes up a lot, is that struggle between when you're in the mother role, mm -hmm. you constantly, you never switch off being an artist and mm. your head, you're constantly frustrated at wanting to get back to your canvas. Mm. Um, but you know, when you're working at your canvas, if you can hear your children in the vicinity, your mother uh, head never switches off either. So there's just this constant struggle for space in my brain, I feel. <laughs> yeah. So you said you, you had the notebooks. Is that some, a tool that you use to sort of, to help obviously to make notes, but to, to bring yourself into this space and say, right, I'm going to make a note, then I can, you know, relax my brain because now I've got that written down, I can move on sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, you're constantly getting distracted and interrupted. And then when I go to sit down or get to my studio, it's like, oh, my God, what what was that? Like I had yeah. this flash of genius and now I can't remember it. Um, yeah. So and if I don't have my notebook to hand, like I'll use my phone to document it or um, I use notes a lot on my phone as well that, um, you know, I take photographs and, and notate it and then mm. I can come back to it. At least I've recorded it. But I, mm. I do I do think keeping notebooks is a, a good practice. It kind of then I, you can make sense as you 
you see things develop and you go, oh yeah, actually that came from way back when. I actually have a note of that. And, yeah. you know, it could take months to act on something that I've actually written down. So That would be fascinating actually at the end of, of a project and then you've got this record and you can browse back through and go, oh yeah, like you said, you can see where it started or you might even see something and go, oh, I sort of, you know, I might have bypassed that, but now I'm interested in that or, you know, it's, yeah, it'd be awesome to have that, that record. Um, I worked in advertising and design for about 20 years. When I, um, when I was a kid, I just always wanted to go to art college, but yeah. I had, which I got to go to art college, but I had to persuade my parents that, you know, I would get a job at the end of this. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I studied, I actually went to art college studying industrial design, which is product design. Yeah, right. And, you know, told my mother, oh, I mean, it's practically engineering. <laughs> and, <laughs> she called for that. She did. And <laughs> the, then I, I kind of segued and took a very, you know, um, a long route through art college. And um, I actually finally graduated in visual communications, which um, meant I went into graphic design and then into advertising from there. Mm -hmm. So, um so that, but at the same time, I, I was working and it was creative and it was a really good grounding. I, like, I don't regret the course or the, the, the journey um, my practice has taken because uh, it's a really good grounding in notebooks and research and because you always have sketchbooks on the go and you're always sketching out ideas and, um, you know, and having to articulate ideas and concepts. So yeah. that's, yeah. Um, and I even like, even when you're designing, I always felt there had to be thinking behind it and concept behind it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's how my art practice is as well. I find it very hard to do a picture that doesn't have some kind of personal or autobiographical meaning for me. I, mm -hmm. I don't just sit down and do something that looks nice, <laughs> yeah, it, which yeah. is, it's a weird layer to put on myself. I, some people are just able to enjoy the process of painting and, but uh, sometimes I feel like, you know, I, I think about it. I overthink things, maybe. I don't know. Is it sort of like a way of processing experiences or um, remembering things or making sure you remember things? Is it anything like that? Yeah, I, I think actually my art is really um, it's therapy for me. It's how I work through my own emotions. Mm. Um, like initially, um, I know my my print practice I started I was actually doing a lot of prints of places I traveled and using photographs I took and um, I think when I became pregnant with my first child uh, just this huge wash of terror and emotions and um, you know this the weight of expectation of you know uh, Actually, I, I often say it in my like artist statement. It's like my work is all about identity crisis. And, you know, and I think that was the point when my art practice changed to become this personal thing where I needed art to work through my own emotions to try and make sense of them. Yeah. Um, and it, sometimes I'll do like uh, a body of work and then step back from it and go, okay now I understand what that was about and this is and I can totally see um 
when I've finished where it all came from and kind of understand myself that little bit better, I think. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, you've led, in, led into it beautifully. There's, there was a piece that I um, saw on your Instagram account that you called Space Invaders. Um, oh, yeah. And I won't try and describe it. I'll let you describe it. Can you just share the background for that and what the, the inspiration was for that, for that painting? Um, yes, yeah, so that was a print. Actually, I have a, I think I have a, a sketch up on my wall. You can kind of see up there yeah, <laughs> behind yeah. me yeah. um so that actually was a project that stemmed um from the initial lockdown and I was doing a lot of um work at home and I eventually took over the children's playroom which is where I am now and it became my home studio so um all the shelves around me which is now full of my stuff <laughs> was was initially full of the kids toys and it's where they came and played um so I set up a desk here and I, I started working here but you know be, the kids there was this constant kind of um battleground so I, I saw my desk as this battleground like I would leave um to go down and make dinner or whatever and then come back and I would find some of the children's toys like uh propped up like obviously on my desk either abandoned or like deliberately put there as almost like um like some kind of to, protest yeah they're trying to stake their claim back on their faces yeah ex <laughs> exactly it became this disputed territory where you know it's like that's our room no it's my room now yes. <laughs> so, so it's it was this um so the print behind me there um it, it's uh, I think I call that one uh cutting ties and it was um I came back and my son's uh, toy Hulk fist was balancing on top of um my scissors on my desk and I was like on there's just something so aggressive but yet so playful about it you know yeah. and that was you know and I have another one um that uh I call mother's bottle and it was my child my daughter's doll um naked because they I don't know the clothes from my children's dolls just that they, they never seem to have them on and and it had knocked over my water bottle and um spilled water across my desk and um, I just, uh, you know, that it kind of brought up so many different kind of images and emotions like that doll very much re represents my daughter and um, even just the water bottle in a way kind of represents me and, and it's that whole um, being torn in two of having these two selves that are constantly vying for your attention um your art it's it's that struggle i mentioned earlier where half your brain is thinking about ideas and half your brain is thinking about what's for dinner <laughs> so. yeah that's it and at the exact same moment <laughs> yeah it never stops Um, so going back to your early days when you said like you had to convince your mum to to let you you do your, your study um were you always a very creative child growing up um yeah I think so um well it's I always loved painting and always loved art and always wanted to be an artist um uh, my family, uh, oh, I live in Dublin now, but um, I grew up down in Kilkenny and um, 
my mom always had this thing my family my dad was a racehorse trainer and we I have five sisters so the six girls we all worked with horses all the time but um my mum was always like we're always having broken arms and broken legs and ending up in hospital and uh she used to say to us I don't care what you do when you grow up you'll have your own jobs and your own lives I don't want you to work in horse racing or art of the of the six girls four have ended up in horse racing and two I'm an artist and my other sister has an art gallery so I mean I, I think I think she could just see the way things were going yes. like really early on and she tried to redirect us but I, I think once your brain is set on something yeah. um you know you're going to end up there if you're driven enough no matter how much you're kind of diverted you're going to weave back around to what you really want so yeah that's it there was there's no stopping that that inner passion I don't think it's just and even if you try try and stop it it's yeah it still tries to creep out doesn't it <laughs> yeah oh dear Um, you've mentioned your children a little bit do you can you tell us um how many children you have a little bit about your family yeah I have uh two children uh a 10 year old daughter she's the eldest and a seven-year-old son and um uh yeah they're they're great they're um they're at a really good age I think now I I always when I was younger I didn't ever know I could never imagine me with babies because I was the youngest of my family. I'd never even held a baby. Mm. When I was about 16, I went to France and worked as an au pair where I looked after a baby. It was my first time ever even holding a child. (laughs) Um, Even I wasn't one of those people in school who went, you know, as the younger groups came into school that I would go and, oh, the, the new kids are in yeah I actually really didn't care about anybody younger than myself I always wanted to hang out with people older than me yeah. so I think that's why when I was pregnant with my first child it was kind of traumatic of like I don't think I can do this mm. I I could see myself with older children but never with babies but obviously like now 10 years on I realized that um everybody's just learning as they go along and you know babies are quite forgiving <laughs> they love you no, no matter how terrible you are as a mother <laughs> oh thank goodness for that <laughs> yeah. oh I tell you what yeah um so did when you when you had your first child your daughter were you work were you doing your art like a lot at the time and did it have to sort of stop or did you manage to keep going how did it sort of work um weirdly I think it amped up a bit at the time because as I mentioned earlier um I my art had been about traveling and things like that and then suddenly this fear of you know motherhood and what was expected of me and you know I worked full-time and all my spare time was given to my art Mm. and now I was going to be a mother and working so working motherhood and art I was like how do the three things fit into each other um but um but like I said I needed the the therapy almost of doing the art so my first solo show is a is was called domestic and it was about um, when my mum found out I was pregnant, she sent me her recipe for brown bread. Actually, she rang me and said, I'll give you my recipe for brown bread now. And I was like, oh, my God, is, is that who I will become now? I'll be this person who makes bread. Um, and I just couldn't get my head around it because I'm a terrible baker and I still am. <laughs> 
So I, I just said, no, I, I can't even deal with you giving me this recipe over the phone. So she wrote it down and sent it to me in a letter. So I had this letter and that was a starting point for doing this whole um, series called Domestic, which was about the fear of becoming a mother. But it was centered around, I always use kind of ordinary objects to kind of trigger emotion and um you know this kind of sense of recognition yourself like it's like oh kind of um so um i used the recipe for brown bread and i did make the brown bread once <laughs> really <laughs> really badly now it, it was edible we'll just leave it at that but isn't that interesting that's like your mum sort of had it was almost like this initiation it's like okay now you're allowed to know these these things that you weren't allowed to know before like that's fascinating isn't it yeah well it's not that I wasn't allowed to know them it's like uh, she just <laughs> thought I would have no interest in yeah. knowing it which yeah. I did I didn't have any interest in making brown bread <laughs> and, and then when I was told oh now you'll probably want to make brown bread I was like oh so me as a person I'm going to change completely yeah. Okay. I had never even thought that, but actually I didn't, I never became this person who made brown bread. So but I can uh, sort of like, if you were already feeling a little bit anxious about everything and then to, to get that and to have that, that moment of going, Oh, hang on a sec. I'm going to, these, all these changes are going to happen. Like that would have been quite startling, like not very reassuring. <laughs> yeah like the whole pregnancy and your body changing and all that that's a very physical and normal and well kind of documented um kind of process that you can google and go oh okay that's totally normal mm. but what I wasn't prepared for I think was just the avalanche of advice and all these conflicting things that people are telling you and telling you about the person you will become and I was like I, I don't want to change I still want to be me so can I not be me uh, an artist and a mother and still do my job mm. but uh, of course some things do change but some things mm. don't but I think it's so it's so important to to keep your pre um pre-mother self it's like it's so important yeah It's even, you know, my daughter, she keeps pointing out to me, I'm a decade now. So like I, I can now <laughs> look at the whole, the whole thing is still very fresh to me a decade later. I, I still very clearly remember the, the trauma of that change that was happening. Um, and I still, I'm still struggling with my identity like 10 years later of how much of me is me and how much do I give over and um, even that guilt of like am I holding myself too much of myself back um, like when I'm with my kids I throw myself into it and you know I love them and I, I love them to bits and have great fun with them like we have great crack um, they're really at a, a lovely age at the moment for you know they're interested in things and their brains are just fascinating like yeah like my daughter is cleverer than I am <laughs> uh, when we were um locked down there for the last 10 days with COVID she um learned how to do a Rubik's cube um <laughs> something I have never been able to do and I found myself last night like googling it and doing a step-by-step -step guide and I swear I wanted to throw the thing in the bin and I was like how does she do this she's 10 and like she has worked it out and I can't <laughs> COVID, the pandemic started or whatever, I 
actually took a step back from work and work was always an important part of my identity as well. Um, I was a creative director in an advertising agency um, when all this hit and I just took a step back and needed to be with the children. And um, it was um, just this, like once that bit was kind of taken away, I realized how much of myself I was giving to work actually. And when it was just divided between my art and my children, um, I actually saw that that's where a lot of the struggle was happening, but also I realized how much of myself I'd been given away to work. Yeah. And because I suppose also your job is creative, um, it, it sucks a lot of the creative energy out of you. So, um, but I, I still, I, I feel like now I have a much better life balance where it's, um, you know, probably uh, I was going to say 50% children, 50% uh, art, but it's probably 70% children, 30% <laughs> art, if I was to be totally honest. guilt then do you ever feel like the pull between like do you ever consciously have that thought I shouldn't be doing this art now because the kids are meant to be doing their homework and I need to check on it like do you, does it do you feel like that that oh all you? the time all the time yeah. it never stops if when I'm doing one thing I feel like I should be doing the other um if and then you know and then I I have like I my different kind of selves start to resent each other. You know, I um, I feel like there's a constant struggle in my head, I have to say, where if I'm um, in the zone painting and I'm just thinking, oh, I just, I just need half an hour. And I hear myself saying that the children are knocking at the door because yeah. they're hungry or, you know, I, I want to do this or can you open that for me or you know mm -hmm. um and I'm like just give me 30 more minutes I swear I'll be down in 30 minutes and <laughs> you know and then when I'm I if I but if I don't get that time to do my art I find myself just being this horrible angry person that I don't like you know mm -hmm. that um you know even the <laughs> my seven-year-old will come and hug me he really knows how to diffuse my pent-up frustration he'll come and hug me and go oh mummy mummy I love you uh, please don't be angry mummy which he uh -huh. sees as a, a whole other person <laughs> <laughs> and it's angry mummy who comes out when um I uh when I I just feel like I haven't um been able to get into my studio and do anything mm. I, I feel I actually I'm just a much nicer person when I have my art practice running smoothly as well um, like some days you really feel like you're winning and oh my god I'm totally killing this I'm like doing everything you know that like yeah yeah everything's going I, I am the woman who has it all oh my god <laughs> this is incredible <laughs> and um. you know yeah. unfortunately it's rare those days are rare um but for for the most part i can resolve the fact of you know okay today i didn't spend as much time in my studio or you know things just didn't work out when i was there mm. um but you know tomorrow will be a better day I, i've become a lot better at i think actually motherhood teaches you that you know as babies you're always told you know tomorrow will be better mm. you know a nap hits reset on everything so yeah, yeah, I, I bring that to my own life you know yeah. I'm just going to sleep on this and reset and in the morning everything will be better so yeah 
that's so true yeah I remember having those feelings of when like in the middle of the night I'd just be thinking that's okay the sun will come up in the morning and we'll just start again and just see how this next one goes and yeah that's a really good way of looking at you know your adult life and your and your expectations yeah. I suppose around what what you want to get done and what you your life allows you to get done I suppose yeah and even like just looking at children and they, they can go to bed being these like really angry and you know um you're having a big row about something and the next morning they've totally forgotten about it and you're like okay okay I suppose I better just forget about that too and move yeah. on yeah yeah that's true that's so true yep I wanted to ask you about um, there was a series that you did um, the compartmentalization, so it's split in over the three lives. Um, yeah. I just was like personally, I, my my pop that passed away just recently. He was 90, 94. Um, and when I saw the things like I don't know, just the like the birds, and I don't know, it's it was like I was meant to see it because he had pigeons. And so all these bird, all the birds that you had. Sorry, I'm talking about this. People won't know what I'm talking about, so I'll put a link up. Um, and then um, the window. Um, it was just I, I got really like smacked in the heart by that. It was just incredibly moving. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you again. Like um, like I said earlier, a lot of my work becomes it, it comes out of me working through emotions and it just at the beginning of the pandemic my dad uh, passed away um, again he was 92 it was just before his birthday his 92nd birthday actually and um, he'd been sick for a while um, so my the six six girls and my mom we were down there with him when he died and there were a couple of days where we were kind of waiting for the inevitable to happen it was a really kind of torturous, long, drawn out, kind of fairly traumatic, actually, the whole thing. Um, and we sat in his room and, and the, these murmurations just started in the evening, which we didn't really have growing up when I was a kid. Murmurations of starlings mm -hmm. and it became um, a, a kind of a thing that we did would go out and watch the birds and then come back in and it's funny like you mentioned about your your dad um kept pigeons my dad actually had this like like because we had um racehorses he had this thing that the birds were like eating the horse's feed and <laughs> like and uh, shitting in the horse's feet. Yeah. <laughs> so he used to um, have this ongoing battle with keeping the birds away. Um, so it was just weird that all these birds like that, this became a thing. And in my, my childhood growing up, um, I won't go into the graphic stories of what happens on farms when <laughs> people are trying what they kind of consider to be pest control. But um, uh, my dad was not very nice to birds, I think. And uh, we lived out in the country and um, uh, it was just, he just wanted them away. Um, so it, it just became this weird kind of thing as I watched him die to see the birds flying around. They just seemed to almost come back and... Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it was um, something 
that I don't even think it was his spirit coming back as birds I don't know was there some kind of karma in that <laughs> but um but even even just to to kind of watch the birds from his room so it, it became very represent representative of him and um the idea of compartmentalization was like obviously I loved my dad and um and we all idolized him but that you could in death we we kind of put away all the things that were bad about the person like he wasn't a saint and he was a tough man to grow up with and he, I think he made us all quite tough um uh but you know, nobody talked about any of the bad stuff at the funeral. It was all very, um, wasn't he great? And I think that's a very Irish thing to do. Or maybe it was. It's just something we deal with um, in grief. You have to put things in boxes and kind of put them away and go. Do you know what? Right now, I'm just not going to deal with that. I'm just going to deal with this little piece of how I'm feeling. So um, yeah. that's uh, that was how that um I did a window down in um the Black Church print studio a little display where I actually printed um a murmuration on um a downstairs bathroom window from my house where my dad used to watch the birds <laughs> and decide to go out and kill some of them like <laughs> to be perfectly honest <laughs> and uh, so oh, I I and it actually brought a new thing into my practice as well where it was like printing on found objects and um kind of moving off um paper and editions and stuff like that as well yeah right so a bit of like experimenting with with things yeah with materials and um uh just i suppose i i never really felt the need to um I think that the the part of me that isn't a printmaker is I don't need to do, you know, 10 perfectly executed prints in that they are absolutely identical. Mm -hmm. For me, it's the process of printing and the process of bringing to life an idea mm -hmm. um, that um, kind of exercises the feelings and the emotions and that's my therapy. And once it's done, it's done and I find it really hard to revisit. I could never reprint anything I've printed before. Once it's done, it's it's gone. And yeah, that, yeah. that emotion has left me almost. Yeah. had cancer a couple of years ago and some of my work was was about that yeah. as well just I suppose in terms of me using um my art as a kind of a therapy to work through stuff so mm -hmm. that actually was again a huge part of recovery um from uh and in fact that I did a show at the time called treatment which was um I was just coming out of treatment and it was even kind of linked to this whole um, desire for things that comfort you like um, and looking at my children and I think at the time I was constantly like giving them treats as well so the again the words often kind of link and spark things in my head and and yeah. you know whereas I, at the time when I was sick I couldn't really stomach sweet things but I was craving them but like and feeding them to my children as a way of comforting them or compensation yeah. that mummy couldn't be there because she was in hospital or whatever so um so that was just yeah I um I think I'm out of treatment about two years now I finished in early 2018 so gosh four years now yeah. oh good for you
do your children, it's sort of a two-part question. So you, if your children are aware of your art making and your yeah. contribution, um, and if that's the case, is it important for you that they see that, that they see what you're doing and what you're putting out to the world? Yeah, um, I certainly don't keep them away from us. Um, like on occasion, I've brought them to my print studio as well. Um, and I, I suppose I don't sit down and explain my work to them, but they're definitely, they know that they're in the work. Um, and sometimes I, I kind of talk to them about it. Um, like that piece I mentioned earlier, Motherload, where I felt it came across as quite dark and negative towards um, parenting. It was important to me that my children knew that like I love them absolutely wholeheartedly um, and that it was about the the accumulation and the drudgery of the little small tasks that um, that just get on top of you that it's it's not the mothering part it's the all the little things that build and build and build um, that uh, you know so it's important that they know how much I love them and that if my work deals with a, nev a negative aspect of um, motherhood that that it's not about them it's about mm. the role yeah that's it yeah it's not direct reflection on on them personally yeah absolutely and do, do you sort of feel like um, it's good for them to see that like that identity again that that mums can be more than I don't want to say just mum because we're never just mum. But in your children's eyes, is it? Do you feel like it's good for them to see you, you know, leaving the home and doing your thing, and you know, that kind of yeah, stuff? absolutely. I think um, you know, I would hate if, um, like, when I'm talking about my art, I refer to it as work as well. Since I left um, advertising and leaving the house to like earn a wage. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose I did kind of feel like my art isn't necessarily earning a wage, um, but I refer to it as my work um, because I would hate my children to differentiate between the fact that my husband works mm. um, and that his work has more value and more importance because he gets paid for it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's always this balance of my art definitely does come second as work in the house because um you know it can get pushed and deadlines are a little bit more flexible and mm. we need to pay the bills um but it's important for me that they understand that my work is important too mm. absolutely you put that beautifully that was very well put bravo <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I I refer to my music now. I say I'm going to do some music work because it's like I I it's so important to me, and it's not just I'm fluffing around and having a bit of fun. Like I do love it; it's fun. But it's like I I want to get something done. I'm trying to achieve something. So to me, it's like it is work. It's labor, you know. So yeah, I've started I've started calling that. I don't know whether the kids have noticed, but it's. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, I think it just, it does, it reinforces something, um, a degree of worth on what we're doing. Mm. Um, and that it's not, like you said, just me playing and having a nice time. Like it actually, it is work. It is hard to, it would be very easy just to sit down and do nothing when, you know, the kids are in bed or distracted with something else. So it would be easy mm. not to do uh, work, but the fact that you compel, you are compelled to go in and work at your music and I'm compelled to go work at my art, mm. um, you know, it, it's, and I think a work, a work ethic is also important. So, um, you know, uh, I want the guys to know that I, when, they go to school I get up every day and I'm like in my studio working until I become mum and have to go pick them up and do the after school activities and stuff yeah that's it yeah absolutely yep
I can't let you go without asking you about your connection to your racing family, which I did Google actually, okay. um, which is pretty impressive, that your sister married Aidan O'Brien and their son is Joseph O'Brien, who's won yeah. two Melbourne Cups. Mel- yeah. <laughs> yeah. My um, nephew, Joseph, Joseph O'Brien, he um, is called Joseph after my dad. And he trains um, on the hill at home in Kilkenny where my dad trained his horses. So um, basically my um, when my sister and Marie, my eldest sister, got married, she married Aidan, who worked for another trainer, Jim Bulger. But um, when they got married, he moved um, over to us in Kilkenny and they my dad kind of said, "Okay, you can train on you know my gallops and gave them kind of half of the so they built their own stables and they we all trained together um so my dad was still training at the time and he's super competitive so he (laughs) and you know obviously Aiden is pretty competitive as well so actually my dad had handed my license his license to my sister um who then gave us transferred it to Aiden when she got pregnant which was she was pregnant like very young I think she was 23 um so um you know I I think then my dad just couldn't um like cope with uh the fact that (laughs) you know Aiden was now training on the hill even though Aiden was like he wasn't well known back then he kind of made his name then training with my dad and um well in competition to my dad um so uh like the dinner table was always you know quite funny (laughs) (laughs) and you know then my next sister married a national hunt jockey trevor horgan um and my next sister had an art gallery and then my next sister um married uh pat smullen yeah and she was a well-known racehorse trainer as well and uh, pat was champion flat jockey here like yep. god i don't know 10 times in a row um and then my twin sister um is married to a jockey's agent and racing pundit on a racing channel here so oh that's so, so <laughs> i know uh, my my husband like uh, our family gatherings like people just talk horse racing. like the horse racing is always on yeah uh probably on about three different tvs in the house and <laughs> you know uh, when when we get together like that's uh, people just talk horses yeah so. oh, i can imagine it'd be like bad like if you didn't enjoy the topic you'd you just have to sit there and take it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I worked uh, with the horses myself, like up until I was about 18 or 19. I had a jockey's license. I rode oh, wow. uh, as an apprentice. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, but I, I think it, a lot of it was just trying to prove that I could do it. I really did not have the interest or passion Um for horses like I know I loved horses but it's not something I yeah yeah, for the industry I didn't want to um spend my life in horse racing yeah is it really scary riding like riding them that fast um sorry that just came out of nowhere (laughs) yeah it's do you know what it's actually um it's not the speed you're going at for me it was the sense of control I um they're like it's this massive machine that you have to be in control of Mm. and I just never felt in control of the horse completely um and again it was um it's kind of a battle of wills as to whether the horse is allowing you to control it and you know Mm. I always felt like if they weren't allowing me to come so I used to get run away with all the time I was kind of small and light so and (laughs) the amount of times like the horse would just take off at me and I would like that is the scary part of it of not being in control so uh, yeah I I, 
it's funny i yeah i ended up in hospital several times with head injuries and broken legs and yeah um actually one of the pieces we discussed uh earlier um uh one of my art pieces that's the water bottle knocked over with the the baby doll um the word uh bottle actually is a racing term it's like a jockey's bottle is um um your bravery so Mm-hmm. um I would often like have like said to my sisters no I've totally lost my bottle I can't do this anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> so in in a weird way like a bottle is courage and bravery and 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 that was um kind of a, a phrase that was in my head when I was doing that art piece um, and it probably comes from my racing background yeah Can I ask you what you've got coming up, if you're working on anything in particular? I mean, with, with the COVID restrictions, I don't know if that means you, you can't do shows or anything, but have you got anything you want to mention? Yeah, well, um, I was part of a group show last year that I um, organised with seven other artists, and I, I did a piece called um, Motherload for that, which was, um, it was, again... Uh, a one-off piece it was four canvases that um where I repeated um these three objects uh over and over and over again to show this kind of build of um I suppose the build of the the daily burden um of motherhood and parenthood yeah that kind of falls uh to us um and I, when I stood back and looked at it, I, it the piece is quite grey and blue and dark, and it felt yeah. like, you know, that was definitely something that was coming out of the pandemic and didn't really feel like me. So, mm-hmm. I, I, I actually have made a conscious decision where I want to do something that readdresses that balance of that last piece that I feel. Mm-hmm. you know came out of me but maybe miss represents where I am now yeah. so I, I've been working on um a body work called the kitchen sink <laughs> which again sounds depressing and was coming from waking up every morning and making coffee and looking into my sink and going oh my god you know it, there was always like some kind of dirty dishes in there that never either made it into the washing machine or were put in after the washing machine was put on and it was like building this resentment and frustration in me and I thought I need to uh, readdress my thinking here and start thinking and and I started seeing the kitchen sink as an art project so um, I would look in the sink and see what was in there and it would become a memory a nice memory of the meal we'd had the evening before. So um, I started sketching what was in the sink or taking photographs and sketching it later and then working out, you know, just while I was doing that, thinking about the meal we had and the conversations we had. And suddenly it became this beautiful thing where, um, again, I use objects kind of symbolically where these objects in a sink became this um, symbolic um, diary entry of my life almost. Mm. So, um, so I'm student. Can't wait to uh, see it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's something I've been working on for the last few months. And um, now I'm, I'm also, um, just about to I was supposed to move into a new studio which I have temporarily with um Ranala Arts a a local arts organization that I work with so I'm going to take the back room it's an an initiative I want um to bring to um other businesses that rooms that are lying empty um 
for businesses that they could do short term um, art artist residencies in there. So I'm doing a, a kind of a pilot scheme. I'm going to be moving into the back room of this uh, building today and start painting from there for a month or two months or six weeks and see how it goes. So, oh, so that's, that's kind of exciting. Yeah. I'm a little bit terrified of moving it to somewhere a bit more public as well. You kind of have that fear of exposing yourself of like, because not every piece works out, okay? And you're like yeah. going, oh no, that's crap. I just have to put that facing the wall so nobody ever sees that again. <laughs> um, or, you know, like I am used to being in my print studio where other people are there and you're meeting other people. Um, so, but I, I know as part of this, moving down to this temporary art studio, uh, at the end of this residency, I plan to do a kind of an open day in the studio and invite people in and talk about my work. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, there has to be, I want it to be of benefit to the arts organization as well. So there has to be kind of a, a quid pro quo. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so I'm interested to see how, how it will affect my work and, you know, will I even be able to work there? I'm, I'm kind of slightly terrified. It's a, a new adventure, I have to say. Oh, well, there you go. It'll be an interesting challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to keep moving forward and, um, do stuff that terrifies you. I try to. I try to not shy away from things that scare me. Yeah. So I. Good I always idea. say to my. I always say to my daughter, you know, being brave is being scared, but doing it anyway. Mm. That's so true, isn't it? Because you're allowed to feel scared, but then you you have to do it anyway. That's actually a quote that um, one of the girls I interviewed early in season one said said the same thing. Said you can be scared, you can be terrified out of your, out of your mind but you have to do it anyway. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. It's been lovely. Oh, well, it was great. And it's it's fascinating. I'm really interested in um, the fact that, uh, like, sometimes we don't, um, I think in the art world as well, like, there's this concept of, you know, I don't want to be a mummy artist kind of talking about motherhood. Mm. And yeah. I made a conscious decision not to shy away from it because um yeah. I just I like it's who I am some people do their work and it's escapism from you know the drudgery and the mundane and the everyday but I I kind of um my work is my life in a way yeah. so I I just uh, it's a record of it or, um so um so I, I feel like it's Maybe I talk about it too much, but uh, oh, I think I think we don't talk about it enough. Honestly, I just think I think you're right. People they have this stigma that you you can't have the two coexisting. It's like, and if you want to be serious, you you've got to just put all that to one side and just you know pretend it's not yeah. there. But it's it's innate. It's a part of you, and it's you can't help but have it influence what you do, whether you realize it or not. I don't think. Yeah um yeah it's massive even yeah like um I remember even in work in advertising you know some people would it would almost be taboo to say that you had to leave work to pick up your children like people yeah. almost pretended they weren't parents mm. that's um, scary isn't it and I just feel like this is like a huge part of who I am and I can't mm deny it or pretend it doesn't exist and why would I want to um so I I kind of make no apologies for my art dealing with motherhood and it's nice to see that there are I, I see different um organizations around the the world I'm I'm a member of a group in Edinburgh called Spilt Milk and where again it's a support network for artists who are mothers and not all the work deals 
directly with motherhood but um it's just it's interesting it really makes me feel part of a community um I, I don't have that direct support in Dublin or in Ireland mm-hmm. um but I found the support internationally um more readily available so I mean yeah. that's fantastic so I was delighted um to uh when you reached out to to get in in touch about it oh that's great i appreciate that thanks for your company today if you've enjoyed this episode i'd love you to consider leaving us a review following or subscribing to the podcast or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast please get in touch with us by the link in the show notes I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter and enjoy friendship fire breathing kittens podcast fantasy action mystery friendship